Hello. Hello. Oh my god, the hotline is back. Welcome to season two, guys. This is very exciting. We are really happy to be reunited with each other and all of you. It's been so long. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, we planned to take the summer off and then we kind of just took the fall off and now it's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, we were pretty friggin' traumatized from 18 months locked in the house with our families. I don't know about anybody else out there, but we had all these plans for fall and then fall came and the kids went back to school and the men went back to the office and we just took some time to recover. Self-care, baby. And by recover, we mean laying very low in the chill zone. We spent a lot of time with our friends and our family. And we spent a lot of time also collecting and posting hilarious memes <laughs> that basically get us through all of the bullshit. And you can check those out at the Rebel Mom on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the hotline concept lives on short episodes hot topics and this season will even feature some guest experts yes very exciting well for this episode and a few to follow we're going to be focusing on one single question and that's what's up with women's health ah yes (laughs) and we found the perfect partner to help us tackle this huge topic the women's health collective canada That's right. We've partnered with them to help raise awareness about the gap in women's health research and to highlight the legacy of inequity in the healthcare process. And we knew we were the right people for the job because we've been hearing stories of women not receiving the care they need for years. They show up in our private forum all the time and it's pretty disheartening. Oh, it's wild actually. And it's friggin' infuriating. And to get you on the same wavelength as us, We're going to drive that point home right now by sharing some of those stories with you. Of course, we have the poster's permission, but here they are. My pituitary tumor was undiagnosed by my GP for one year, despite my concerns. Unexplained bleeding with a copper IUD. Doctors just said, keep it in until you get fed up. I can't even believe that. (laughs) Unreal. Um, here's one. As a teenager, I was told I had stress stomach aches. No, I had celiac disease. Oh, those aren't the same. No. I repeatedly went to the doctor for mid-cycle spotting and kept being told maybe I was pregnant or maybe I wasn't correct about when my period was. It took almost a full year of asking to finally get diagnosed with polyps, which were ironically preventing the pregnancy that I was trying to conceive. It took years to be diagnosed with endometriosis, and I was told by one gynecologist slash urologist that I just had bad luck. Oh, yeah. Just bad luck. Just Just shove it to the corner. Okay, here's a bit of a long one. Oh my gosh, I have a whole long story about the quest for a diagnosis, including a doctor who literally lied to me about test results because I am both a woman and plus size. I have endometriosis, possible ADHD, anxiety, depression, autoimmune not otherwise specified, but likely cirrhotic arthritis or atypical lupus, and chronic migraines. My rheumatologist started taking me seriously when I started bringing my husband to my appointments. Ugh, 
that is just <laughs> I know right it like yeah. does something to your soul yes crushes it if you want yeah. to <laughs> okay one more I was misdiagnosed with cervical cancer for over a year resulting in a year of chemo oh that's a nightmare that's an actual nightmare it is so actually hard to read these things I know when we first read through them and our community sent them in, it was it was really hard for us to get through those words. Yeah. And we actually collected more than 30 stories from our community. So we published them all on the rebelmama.com. So if you would like to torture yourself, um, hop on over to the rebelmama.com and get to reading. <laughs> Um, so anyways, a driving factor behind all these missed diagnoses and misdiagnosis is the research gap in women's health that has existed since the beginning of recorded time, apparently. Yeah, basically. I mean, women began to break into the study of medicine starting around the 1700s, but women's bodies weren't really studied until closer to 1970, which is only like 50 years ago. Crazy. And here's a fun fact. Women only started being included in clinical medical trials in the 1990s. And here's another fun fact. It still isn't mandatory to have female representation in clinical trials. Good times. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Like I was already around in the 90s if anybody cares how old I am. Yeah, (laughs) me too. I mean, not for long, but still like (laughs) that's recent history. You know, you kind of think this stuff happened in the olden days, but... Apparently not. So yeah, they basically only studied how stuff affected men until like 30 years ago. That's bananas. Well, I'm glad we're doing the work we're doing because we definitely want to change all that. Let's not forget the other key factors too in all of this. Prejudice and gender biases. Don't worry. Those tie into the history too. And we'll dive right into those after a word from our sponsor. This episode was created in partnership with Women's Health Collective Canada, a strategic alliance founded by three of the country's leading women's health and hospital foundations, the BC Women's Health Foundation, Alberta Women's Health Foundation, and Women's College Hospital Foundation. Women's Health Collective Canada funds groundbreaking research and is leading a call for public support for more research and awareness of health issues affecting women. Find out more at www.whcc.ca or on Instagram at whcc. And don't worry, we're not going to stop talking about it either anytime soon. (laughs) So we'll just keep spreading that awareness. Um, What were we talking about again? Oh, right. Prejudice and gender bias in medical history. Okay, is it true that you can trace this back as far as ancient Greece? It sure is, my friend. Oh, boy. (laughs) In the 3rd century BCE, the philosopher Aristotle described the female body as an inverse of the male body with its genitalia, and I quote, turned outside in. Jesus. (laughs) Women were marked by their anatomical difference from men and medically defined as faulty, defective, or deficient. Wow. So debunked theories like these are referred to by scholars as medical myths. And according to Eleanor Cleghorn, who's the author of a book called Unwell Women, medical myths about gender roles and behaviors constructed as facts before medicine became an evidence-based science 
have resonated perniciously, and these myths about female bodies and illnesses have enormous cultural sticking power. Today, gender myths are ingrained as biases and negatively impact the care, treatment, and diagnosis of all people who identify as women. Whoa, medicine has a pretty dark history when women are concerned. Can we take a dive a bit deeper into this darkness for a moment, even though I really don't want to? I was going to say, are you sure that you want to do that? I don't know. Yes, we can. So first of all, we have to note that female doctors actually do appear throughout history, from ancient China to medieval Europe and beyond. Historically, men didn't actually involve themselves in women's medical care, and likewise, women didn't involve themselves in men's health care. Women's focus was in midwifery and healing arts. They practiced in rural areas or wherever there was little access to medical care, and their learnings were passed down orally, and their activities were not recorded in written records, because of course it was the men who controlled the written records. Of course. Why would you jot that down? It's only women that said it. Moving on. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. But it wasn't until the 13th century that women were officially excluded from advanced medical education. To gain licensure, they required clerical vows for which women were not eligible. And just like that, healing as a profession became male-dominated. In the decades that followed, female healers were either accused of illegal practice or they were considered witches by both clerical and civil authorities. I would like to raise my hand here. Please raise your hand if you're a proud witch. Yes. 100%. My hand's up to girlfriend. Um, And then in the 1700s, we actually start to see some highly privileged, of course, white women entering universities and studying medicine. Dorothea, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly. It's a German name. Dorothea Erxleben. 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 Dorothea Erxleben. She was the first female doctor in Germany and the first woman worldwide to be granted an MD by a university. And she was alive from 1715 to 1762. And then the middle class starts to grow and access to education expands from 1930 to 1970. And in that period of 40 years, we see around 14,000 women graduate from medical school. Then come the early 70s. In the early 70s, two laws pass that protect the rights of women and they ban discrimination on the grounds of gender. Shout out to RBG, our girl, but was her, this would not have oh, happened. Thank God for her. And then after that happens in the next 10 years from 1970 to 1980, over 20,000 women graduate from medical school. So you start to see the scale starting to balance a little bit. Today, the ratio of male to female students in medical school is actually almost equal, but that hasn't trickled into parity in practice yet. So like we need to give this like another 20 years for these doctors to actually be fully practicing. Yeah. So I mean, it's, It's so frustrating how long these things take when you think of how modern and forward our society is, quote unquote, in 2021. It's really not. Right. Um, Anyways. Yeah, there are skews within the medical profession as well. Some specialties, such as surgery, are significantly male dominated, while others are significantly female dominated or are becoming so. For example, in the United States, female physicians outnumber male physicians in pediatrics and female residents outnumber male residents in family medicine, obstetrics, and gynecology, pathology, and psychiatry. Now, here's a big part of the problem. 
biomedical research and academic medical professions, i.e. faculty at medical schools, are also disproportionately male. Got to get the ladies in there. Yeah. Once again, we need some time for that to happen. But at the end of the day, we really need to ensure that women proliferate all medical verticals, and we need to ensure that they remain in the biomedical research pipeline for long enough to actually make an impact with breakthrough studies on women's specific health issues. Yeah, and we need to hold our older doctors accountable to be up to date with new developments in women's health research. Make some noise, you know, if they they tell you that you're problem is bad luck or that you're being emotional, um, you make some noise and you get in there and get what you need. And we need to fund this research. Most importantly, did you know that funding for men's health research is higher than that of women's, even though they've had a couple millennia head start on us? We got to get caught up here. We need to get caught up so that we can live well. Amen to that. Well, (laughs) you guys can just sit with that for a little while. Try not to get too sad or angry as we've been dealing with our feelings for a little bit as we've been putting this together. But that's it for this episode. And it's just one of a few where we're going to talk about this topic and the rest are going to be epic. So buckle up. Yeah. So for the next three weeks, we actually have interviews lined up with some of the researchers who are on the forefront of women's health research in Canada. We asked you guys what you wanted to hear about most, and your answers were fertility and reproductive health, menopause and aging health, as well as mental health. So those are the topics that we're going to be covering. Shout out to the WHCC for allowing us access to these groundbreaking physicians. A massive thank you to everyone who submitted their stories to us. You can read them all at therebelmama.com. And thank you, listeners, for coming back to spend a little time with us. We missed you, and we'll see you next week. Bye. We love you. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review and share this episode with every woman you know. (laughs) Yes. Okay, bye. (laughs) The song you're listening to is called Name and Number off the debut album Unrequited by Roshan. Stream it now on Apple Music.